Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of St. John chapter number 2. A very familiar passage of scripture. John chapter number number 2. I'm excited about the fact that God leads us. And he directs us. If we will just simply listen to him and open our hearts to him and open our ears to him, God will speak to us. And I believe that God is speaking to me. I believe that God is leading me and directing me this year uh, in what he wants us to receive. And uh, so look with me in the book of John chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse number, number 1. It says that on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Father, we thank you for the incredible and infallible word of God. God, I just pray today that your uh, word, Father, will go uh, uh, forth today, Lord, through the anointing, the unctioning, the empowering, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that faith will begin to build and begin to rise in the heart of the people, God, that we will see the miraculous take place in our lives, and in our church throughout this coming year. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, as already stated, as directed by the Holy Spirit, I have declared 2016 a year of prayer. This past Sunday, I concluded a five-sermon series on prayer. Today, I'm going to begin a brand new series that I'm calling Meditating on the Miracles. Meditating on the Miracles. We're going to take several of the miracles of Jesus and and we're going to meditate on them. We are going to dissect them. We are going to examine them. We're going to see uh, uh, how that these miracles apply to our life and they are going to help build faith in us to believe uh, that the God of the past is still the God of the present. You You see, I believe that miracles follow prayer. 
We've been talking about prayer. We've declared this as a year of prayer. Well, I believe that miracles follow prayer. And so I'm believing for miracles to take place uh, in the lives of our people. I'm believing for miracles to take place uh, in our church as a result of concentrated and systematic prayer. I'm going to believe God this year that, 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 that some of you are going to, go, going to receive some financial miracles. Um, financial miracles. Some of you that have been struggling in this area, God is miraculously going to work uh, in your life. I'm believing God that people that have been sick and people that have had physical issues in their life, God is going to show up this year and we're going to see miracles uh, in the area of healing. I believe in God this year that there's going to be miracles in, in marriage. Some marriages that have struggled, some marriages that have even been on the brink uh, of divorce. But this year, through the power of prayer and the power of faith, I believe that God is going to work miracles in some marriages this year. I'm believing God that some bondages are going to be broken. I'm believing God that, that some addictions, some people that have been addicted, whatever it might be, it might be nicotine, it might be alcohol, it might be pornography. I don't know what the addiction is, but I'm believing God that this is going to be the year through the power of the Holy Spirit that bondages are going to be broken and addictions are going to be destroyed. Let me ask you this morning, can you believe with me for miracles in this house? Can you believe for a miracle in your own life? Well, today we're going to take a look at the miracle that took place at a wedding feast. We've already read the story, so there's no need for me to retell it. But in this story, I have drawn five things. There are five things in this story that I would like to call your attention to today. The first thing I'd like to call your attention to found in this story and found in this miracle of, of, of turning water into wine, I want us to understand, number one, that Jesus is interested in the everyday affairs of man. Jesus is interested in the everyday affairs of men. We find this in verses 1 and 2. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Here's what we need to understand. Nothing is too insignificant for him. Nothing is too insignificant for him. For Jesus. Now, now, Jesus had a limited time to spend on planet Earth. And, and if you'll read the Gospels, you'll find that he was busy preaching and he was busy teaching the people and he was busy mentoring his disciples. Surely, surely there were many more important things to do uh, than, uh, uh, than, than to go to a wedding. Surely there were more important things to do with his time uh, than go to this wedding feast, but he had been invited. He had been invited. His mother was going. His disciples, his friends were going. Now, we don't know who the wedding was for, but, but I would imagine, no doubt, that it was a relative or a friend of, of the family. Now, were there other things that Jesus could be doing? Absolutely. But evidently, his being there was important to someone. 
Either it was important for, for his mother that, his, that her son be at the wedding or, or it was important for the, for, for the friends of the family. Uh, maybe it was, it was important to the bride or maybe it was important to the groom. Being there might have seemed insignificant to him, but it wasn't insignificant to somebody. Here's what I've come to believe. If it matters to us, it matters to him. If it matters to us, it matters to Him. Nothing is too insignificant to be important to Jesus. He is interested in the everyday affairs of man. And He wants us to invite Him into every area of our life. See, see, here's what some of you need to understand this morning. Jesus shouldn't be reserved just for church. For some of you, you only have a Sunday Jesus. Because he's not in, you don't take him to work with you. You don't take him to recreation with you. You know, uh, you don't invite him into any other area of your life. For you, Jesus is just a Sunday Jesus. But I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is not just a Sunday Jesus. And he doesn't want to be just a Sunday Jesus. But he wants to be a part of our everyday life. He wants us to invite him into every area of our life. He shouldn't be reserved just for church. He shouldn't just be the ace up our sleeve that we hold on to and only pull out and use in a severe crisis. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. Nothing is too insignificant for him. And nothing is too insurmountable for him. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, a rhetorical question is asked. And the question is, is there anything too hard for God? And Luke chapter 18 and verse 27 says that the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what insurmountable uh, circumstance or situation all that you're faced with today. But I do know this. What seems insurmountable to us is not insurmountable to the Lord. Listen, I, I would submit this morning that if Jesus could turn water into wine, he can turn your situation around as well. Not only is Jesus interested in the everyday affairs of man, number two, Jesus will get involved in our problems when we ask him to. We find this in verses three and four. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your, I can just imagine me calling my mother woman. I grew up in the era where mamas still slapped their kids, amen? <laughs> I don't think Jesus was being disrespectful here, but I, you know, maybe that's just an interpretation there. But anyway, what it says, Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> I called my wife that one time, never called her that again, amen? <laughs> woman, <laughs> Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet. Come. 
the host had ran out of wine and was facing embarrassment. It would be an embarrassment in that culture to run out of wine. And so Jesus' mother, knowing of the impending embarrassment, perhaps for their relative or their friend, Jesus' mother asked Jesus to do something about the situation. Now, it appears on the surface that Jesus has little compassion for the situation, but that was not the case. Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't interested. It wasn't that Jesus did not want to to save this man embarrassment. It wasn't that. No, no. No, it was the fact Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. It's not time yet for me to be revealed for who I am. It's not time for my first miracle yet. But even so, when his mother pressed the issue, has your mother ever pressed the issue? (laughs) Even so, when his mother insisted that he help upon the invitation of his mother, Jesus got involved and worked his first miracle. A miracle of provision, providing for the host exactly what was needed. Let me tell you this morning that Jesus still works provisional miracles today. I said, Jesus still works provisional miracles today. If you're in need of provision today, if you are in need need of financial help, if you are in need of some provision, I'm telling you that, that, that Jesus who began his ministry with a provisional ministry, amen, is still able today to work provisional uh, uh, miracles, I should say. He's still able to do that today. I cannot tell you how many times God has supernaturally intervened for me. So many times that God has supernaturally provided for me both personally and for the churches that I have served as pastor, uh, this one included. Two things we need to understand here. Number one, he waits for our invitation. See, although he is willing and he is able, yet he waits for our invitation. You might say, Pastor, why doesn't God do something about my situation? Well, let me ask you this morning, have you asked him to? Because people come to me quite often with their dilemma, with their situation, with their problem. They come to me, and when I ask them if they've prayed about it, they get all red in the face and begin to him. You mean you're going to come and talk to me before you've talked to God? Pastor, why didn't God do something about my situation? Well, well, the question is, have you asked him to? Have you invited him into your situation? In Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, there's a man by the name of Jairus that approaches Jesus and tells Jesus about his little girl who is very sick and about to die. And Jairus asked Jesus to come to his home and heal his daughter. Jairus invited Jesus into his situation. Oh, and I love verse number 24. And in verse number 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. Oh, I know that sounds so 
elementary. It sounds so simple, but that just does something for me this morning that, that this man comes to Jesus and approaches Jesus and tells Jesus of his situation and of his dire uh, emergency that is at hand and invites Jesus into his situation. And so Jesus went with him. Oh, oh, hear me, hear me this morning, dear friends. We, oh, we don't have to walk through our crisis alone. All we have to do is invite Jesus into our situation and Jesus will go with us. Jesus went with Jairus and healed his daughter, but only after Jairus invited him. Second thing we need to know here is this. He is willing to make a personal investment. In Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 51, the disciples are on the sea experiencing a terrible storm. And they are fearful uh, for their life. The Bible says that Jesus came walking toward them on top of the water. And verse number 48 gives a very interesting and intriguing phrase. It says that Jesus came to them walking on the water, and the intriguing phrase is, and would have passed them by. Here they are in the midst of a storm. Here they are, fearful for their very lives. Here comes Jesus walking toward them, the one that is walking above the situation, the one that can say the word and the storm would be over. But the Bible says as he's walking toward the disciples, walking toward their trouble, walking toward their situation, he would have passed them by. As I read that this week anew and afresh, I began to wonder how many times in the midst of our storms, how many times that Jesus has been right there. He's been right there. Oh, oh, so close there, a length, an arm's length away, right there, waiting on an invitation from us to join in, in our storm. And yet we never extended the invitation, and so he just walked on by. Pastor, doesn't Jesus know my situation? Doesn't he know what I'm faced with? Doesn't he know what I'm going up against? Yes, he does. And he's walking towards you today. But I'm going to tell you this morning, without an invitation, he will walk on by. He's ready. He's willing. He's able. He's capable. But he's listening for you to invite him into your situation. And if you'll invite him into your storm, he will come and he will rescue you. But if you don't invite him in, he will just keep walking right on by. Jesus will get involved in our problems when we ask him to. But he waits for our invitation and only then is he willing to make a personal investment. Notice something else we can learn in this scripture about the miracles of Jesus. Number three, Jesus will include people in the process. We find that verses five through seven. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were sent there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus works through people. If he wants to say something, he uses someone's voice. To speak through. If he wants to give something to someone, he uses some person's resources 
to give with. <laughs> Just all three men put, a, put their hand on their wallet. <laughs> Jesus always uses people in the process of his miracles. Let me ask you this morning, has God ever used you in the process of somebody's miracle? I'll never forget. I've told the story before. We have so many new people who haven't heard it, and the rest of you forgot it. It's a good story anyway, so you can hear it again. But I'll never forget one day I was pastoring in another city, and I got a telephone call from one of the men in my church who owned and operated a little taxi business. And he said, Pastor, I need prayer. I said, okay, Joe. What is it? He said, well, my taxi won't pass inspection because I have the tires won't pass inspection. I don't have money to buy tires with. And uh, I can't run my taxi business. They won't even let me without me having a sticker that my, my taxi, my vehicle is safe. I said, all right, Joe, I mean, I, definitely, you know you can count on me to pray. So I actually, at that moment, I went in the auditorium and just started praying. I said, God, you know, Joe's a great guy. You know, God, he's got a, and he's got a, he's got a large family, and, and they barely make it as it is, God. And, and, man, now he's up against this God. And, you know, God, I just pray that you just... God, just, would you just provide Brother Joe? He needs a set of tires, God. Would you, just, would you give Brother Joe a set of tires? Now, God don't always talk to me, but he talked to me that day, and God said, you give him a set of tires. <laughs> Why are you asking me to give him a set of tires? You, get, you buy him a set of tires. You, you, you've got money in the bank. You've got money in the bank. You don't need me. You don't need me to, do, you, don't need me to you know, rain down tires from heaven. Take him to discount tires. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not a whole lot. Take him to discount tires and buy him some tires. Well, bother me with this for you. You've got the money. He's got a need. You've got the money. Go do it. He called you. Go do it. Yes, sir. Has God ever used you? In the, I'm telling you, Joe was praying for a miracle. For him, it was a miracle. He didn't have money. He, he didn't have money to buy tires. And without, without running his business, he, he, he couldn't feed his family. He had a big family. Amen. Back to our scripture today. Verse 5. Jesus' mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Notice two things here. Number one, our job is not to understand but to obey. See, we may or we may not understand the process of the miracle. That doesn't matter. Our job is not to understand. Our job is simply to obey. Our job is simply to fill the water pots with water. See, here's what you need to understand this morning. Before every miracle manifests, it is always preceded with an assignment. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. March around the walls of the city seven times. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go through the crowd and see what you can find. Before every miracle manifests, it, is all, it always is preceded with an assignment. 
Jesus will include people in the process. He gives those people an assignment. He gives those people direction. He gives those people a command. Our job is not to understand the assignment. Our job is simply to obey the assignment. All our assignment is fill the water pots with water. Second thing we need to understand here, and that is the outcome will be determined by the degree of our obedience. Grab a hold of this this morning. This is good. The outcome will be determined by the degree of our obedience. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Notice Jesus said, fill them, fill them up. Well, how are these servants going to respond? Did they fill them half of the way up? A third of the way up? Two-thirds of the way up? No, verse number 7 says, they filled them up to the brim. The outcome will be determined by the degree of our obedience. This was not, this was not the case with Simon Peter in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. You know the story. The disciples had been fishing and they had fished all night long. And the Bible said they had caught nothing, nada, not one single fish after all night long. Long. The Bible says that Jesus shows up and Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Peter responds in verse number 5, Master, we have toiled all night long and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, or if you insist... At your word, I will let down the net. Notice Jesus told him, cast your nets, plural. Peter said, I will let down the net, singular. Peter was thinking, Jesus, we are so tired and we are so discouraged and actually we are discouraged. Casted, Jesus, really? You really want us to unroll all these dirty nets we've already washed and folded and put away? Really? Hey, Jesus, I'll, I'll humor you because of who you are. I'll, I'll unroll one net and I'll toss it one time. I won't even ask my fishing buddies to help me. I was reading this this week. I began to wonder how many times, how many times have we been on the verge of a great catch? How many times have we been right, right to the brink of, a, of our miracle, right to the edge of God doing something awesome and incredible for our lives or for our church? But because we became to get tired, all oh, because we became discouraged, maybe even disgusted, so we rolled up our nets prematurely and we gave up on the catch when realizing that maybe just one more time, if we would have just thrown the net just one more time, if we would have just went out one more time, if we would have just not given up so easily, Maybe we could have seen the miracle take place in our life. How many times has God said to us, cast your nets? And so we humor God and we, and we toss one single net. 
The outcome will be determined by the degree of our obedience. Notice the next thing we see in this account of Jesus turning the water into wine. Number four, this morning, the instructions of Jesus will require faith. Verse 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. No big deal there. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. As soon as these servants finished filling the water pots with water, Jesus then told them to draw some of that water out of the water pots and to take it to the overseer of the celebration and offer it as wine. What you told me, Willis? <laughs> what? <laughs> I just filled the water pot with water. <laughs> Notice the term water pots. <laughs> Not wine vats. Water pots filled with water. <laughs> Draw some out now. <laughs> Take it to the overseer. <laughs> Present it and make sure that he gives his A OK. That this wine's okay to serve to the rest of the guests. Because that's his job. (laughs) I don't know, man. Perhaps these servants looked down into these water pots that they had just filled with water. And perhaps, I believe, they they could see that it was still water in the water pots. But Jesus told them to dip some out and to give to the overseer, the governor of the feast, and to present it to them as to him as wine. Can you see that the instructions of Jesus will require faith? Let me say two things here very quickly this morning. His instructions will cause us to move out of our comfort zone. Let me ask you this this morning. Has God ever challenged your faith with an instruction? That would require you to move out of your comfort zone. God has done this to me several times. I've got some illustrations here, but I don't have time for them. Let me just ask you, has God ever challenged your faith with an instruction that would require you to move out of your comfort zone? The second thing I want to see here this morning is his instructions challenge our reasoning. See, God's instructions are seldom logical. Let me ask you this this morning. Was it logical for Jesus or yeah, was it logical for Jesus to instruct Peter to step out of the boat and walk to him on top of the water? Was that logical? Was it logical for Elisha to tell the, the, the leper Naaman to go dip in the muddy Jordan seven times, and if he would do that, he would come up cleansed? Was that logical? The answer is no. Was it logical for Jesus to make mud out of dirt and spit and place the mud on the eyes of the blind man in Mark 9 and then to tell him to go wash in in the pool of Siloam? The instructions of Jesus are designed to require faith on our part. His instructions will cause us to move out of our comfort zone and they will certainly challenge 
our reasoning. All right, let's notice the fifth thing very quickly this morning. The fifth thing and last thing we can learn from the miracle we are meditating on today. The fifth thing that I find in this miracle and this story is the work of Jesus is never inferior. The work of Jesus is never inferior. Verse 9 and 10 tells us this. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water out knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sits out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. See, see, the custom of that day was to bring out the best you had. Bring out the best you had at the beginning. And then, after everyone had some of the good stuff, after everyone had, uh, had their, their thirst quenched, then, then you could bring out some of the lesser quality. But what Jesus produced for... for But what Jesus produced far exceeded what had previously been served. And the man in charge couldn't believe it. He said, said, what you served first was good. Wasn't nothing wrong with what you served at at, at the first. It, it, It was good. But man, man, this is great. Two things in closing this morning. Listen, get a hold of this this morning. Oh, I love this. When something good is touched by Jesus, it becomes something great. I said when something good is touched by Jesus, it suddenly becomes something great. Think about the story of the feeding of the 5,000. When the little lad held the five loaves and the two fish in his hands, he held something Good. Uh, he was holding a little boy's lunch. He was holding uh, love uh, from his mother who had lovingly prepared him uh, his little lunch. He was holding something good. He was holding something, oh, that would fill a little boy's tummy uh, when he got hungry. Oh, when the little boy held the loaves and the fish, he held something good. Oh, but when the little lad handed what was good over to Jesus, it automatically and suddenly became something great. I'm telling you this morning that anything good touched by the hands of the master suddenly becomes something great. It became something great because it became the beginning of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 families. Let me ask you this morning, what do you have to offer Jesus? The little lad had five loaves and two fish. That wasn't much, but it was something. It was something good. Oh, but he was willing to give it to Jesus. Listen, what is it that you have this morning? What is it that you have today that that is good? What do you have this morning that God could take and add his blessing to that that, that Jesus could, could become involved and what that good could suddenly become something great? I like my sermon better than you do this morning. Amen. All the servants in our scripture for today had to offer Jesus. All they had to offer was their obedience. All that was available that day was just six water pots, and they were empty pots. There wasn't much for Jesus to work with, but Jesus doesn't need much. Jesus just needs something. And when something is handed into the, is put in the hands of Jesus, when something good is put in the hands of Jesus, all of a sudden it becomes something great. 
A good relationship touched by Jesus suddenly becomes a great relationship. A good ministry touched by Jesus suddenly becomes a great ministry. The work of Jesus is never inferior. And finally this morning know this. Once you've tasted the work of Jesus, nothing else satisfies. The overseer of this wedding feast couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. Could not believe the difference in the first wine that he had tasted and, and that, that he had okayed and he had signed off on and said it's okay to serve. But now, now expecting something inferior, now expecting something far less than what he had uh, tasted earlier. But now, now he tastes, the, he tastes the, the, the wine that is presented to him now and he can't believe it as his taste buds just go off the charts. But see, that's the thing this morning. Once you've tasted, oh, once you've tasted the work of Jesus, nothing else satisfies. John 4 and 14 says, those who drink the water, Jesus says, those that drink the water that I provide, he said, will never thirst again. He said, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, oh, giving them eternal life. Oh, what is it this morning that you have today? What is it? What is that good thing that you have today? Oh, it's wonderful that it's good. But Jesus can take the good and he can, once it's in his hands and once he touches it and once he gets involved in it, the good suddenly becomes great. Hallelujah. Amen. Worship team, get back in place this morning. Our takeaway this morning, Jesus is still a miracle worker. Jesus is still a miracle worker. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. The takeaway today, Jesus is still a miracle worker. Second takeaway today, miracles still require faith. Yes, he's a miracle worker, but miracles still require faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Would you stand with me in his presence today? The question I have for all of us here this morning, the question of the day is, does anyone here today need a miracle? Does anyone need a miracle in this house today? Do you have faith to believe? a miracle maybe this morning you need a miracle in your finances you need God to come through for you financially or you're going to get kicked out of your house or they're going to turn the electricity off or whatever it might be maybe you need a miracle in your marriage if God doesn't come through in your marriage your marriage is tanked it's gone you need God to work a miracle in your marriage. Maybe, maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe they're hooked on drugs. Maybe they're in rebellion. 
Maybe they won't talk to you. Maybe, they won't, maybe they've left and won't, won't respond to you. You need a miracle. You need God to bring the prodigal back home. Maybe you need a miracle in your ministry. We have ministers here today, and maybe all of us are ministers, but we have ministers from vocation here today, and you need, you need God. If God don't intervene, maybe, maybe it's your budget. Maybe I don't, you, need, you need a miracle in your ministry. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's in your health. It's in your health. You need God to come through for you. You need God to heal your body. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, just for a moment, how many of you this morning Maybe it's one of these that I've listed this morning or something else, but you, you just lift your hand and say, I need a miracle today. I need a miracle. I need God to work a miracle in my life. Can I see your hand all over the room, all right? In every single one of our sections, there are several hands that are being raised. How many of you this morning would say, I have faith. I have enough faith. Now listen to me. I have enough faith to ask God. For my miracle. Can I see your hand this morning all over this room? I have enough faith. I didn't say you have enough. You're saying I have enough faith to get my miracle. No, I have enough faith to ask. That's the starting point. Just enough faith to ask. Just enough faith to invite him into your situation. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation. The good news about that miracle is it's already been done for us. It's already been done for us. All we have to do is simply to receive the miracle that has been made available to us, the miracle of salvation. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, nobody is looking about right now. Just for a moment, please. If you, if you are not 100% convinced and sure of your salvation today and if that's you then that means you're 100% unsure if you're not sure then you're unsure right if you're if you're not 100% sure of your salvation but this morning you want to receive and assure assure yourself of this miraculous gift of salvation by grace. If that's you this morning, I want to see your hand lifted up real high this morning. Let me make sure. God bless you, sir. How many others this morning? Wave it at me because it's kind of dark in here. Thank you, sir. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Two men, two grown men this morning. How many others this morning? I'm not 100% sure. Can I see your hand all over this room today? All over this room today. All right, these two gentlemen raised their hand this morning. I want you to pray a prayer with me this morning. I'm going to help you this morning. Pray a prayer. There's no magic in a prayer. It's just the vehicle we use to talk to God. I want you to pray this prayer after me, but you're not going to be singled out. You don't just have to pray. We're going to let everybody's going to pray it. But if you lifted your hand and you sincerely, sincerely want to be saved today, I want you to pray this prayer and pray it from your heart, not just from your lips. God will hear you. He'll save you today. Repeat this prayer with me from your heart, not just your lips. Everybody praying. Heavenly Father, I recognize my need of salvation. I recognize I can't save myself. But your word says I don't have to. 
Your word tells me that by grace through faith, that placing my faith in your grace, grace meaning that you do for me what I can't do for myself. If I place my faith in your grace, I will be saved. So today I place my faith, I place my trust, I place my hope, I place my confidence for my salvation in God's grace. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross. His blood cleanses me from my sin. If you believe the prayer you prayed it, I believe that God heard you. I believe that God saved you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.